This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. There he is. Hello, Hello, I'm Paul. Hey, I'm Marissa. Hello, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. And we're going to talk about uh, Wasteland by W. Scott Poole. What's the subtitle on this? I put my phone away. Great War and the Origins of Modern Horror. Right. Um, So I promised to get my hate notes out. Um, uh, I, my hate notes gotta get my hate notes out so uh, <laughs> just insert uh, some blast beats here like hate notes yeah, that's exactly yeah. what, how it goes so uh, what happened was I I tweeted uh, starting prep on the new SFF audio podcast on at Monster Americas that's uh, W. Scott Poole's Twitter account Wasteland, The Great War and The Origins of Modern Horror um, and then I put in the links to the Blackstone audiobook and the downpour where you can download it. And then uh-huh. this dude on the internet who I follows me and I follow him says, um, ghost, that was a shit book. And I said, <laughs> what? <laughs> so I what? said, interesting though. I'd, it'd be hard to know what your argument would be unless you'd come on the podcast and tell me, uh, and then, I, because I've been harassing him to come on the podcast for a while. Oh, oh, oh it's that guy. Yeah, it's the yeah. guy who did the review on. Yes. Amazon is it Paul? No, <laughs> it's not Paul. Uh. <laughs> no, what? Paul uh. would not talk like that. <laughs> and wow! I read wow. that review. So I'm going to read that review for you. This is a, a two star review from Amazon. Um, and tell me where you disagree at the end, okay? Uh, the, he's titled it, Not Quite Waste Paper, A Modest uh, Pop History of Horror. Wasteland, The Great War and the Origins of Modern Horror is a modest pop history of horror in the early 20th century, focusing thematically, if not always chronologically, around World War One. W. Scott Poole isn't exhaustive in the breadth or depth of the subject he covers, and his endnote citations certainly don't measure up to any academic standards. But he has an easy readable style and tries to give an overview of the themes and developments of horror stemming to or connecting to the Great War. Competent and entertaining enough, but not rigorous. Probably a good vacation read, but don't, but don't actually cite it for your undergraduate essay. Uh, do not go looking into this book for any kind of deep examination of the works of horror, film, theater, or literature connected to the or deriving from World War One. This isn't about the horror in the trenches or that rose out of it per se. Uh, it's about how thoughts and concepts of horror were changing around the same time, such as Sigmund Freud's thoughts for the time on war and death, 1915, which by itself is a decent lens as any to consider how the context of the period was shaping the very notion of horror that gave us the classic universal monsters and Cthulhu. Poole is at his most competent when putting together a broad narrative, but the focus shows a lot of weird gaps for those that know the actual territory. For example, he has a reasonably accurate sketch of Arthur Macon, or Machin, Macon, I say, uh, but doesn't mention the Bowman and the Terror until a later chapter. The book is very, I think he mentions it a couple times, actually. The book is very frustrating yeah, to read. Yeah, that's a weird crit. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. The book is very frustrating to read in the sense that trying to find an overall flow, uh, in 
trying to find an overall flow. Uh, it's hard to tell with Poole whether he doesn't mention stuff because he isn't aware of it or doesn't, or, or because it doesn't fit whatever narrative he's trying to construct and he'll cram it in later. Occasionally bizarre constructions are jarring. Anyone would call Cthulhu Godzilla with tentacles is a book that deals with the things long before Godzilla was conceived is very strange to me. Some of his inclusions are almost as baffling as his omissions. There's a section in chapter two which starts talking about the context around the development of Italian horror films, but the only actual film mentioned squeezed in between paragraphs on Italy joining the war is Eugenio Testa's Il Monstro di Frankenstein, uh, lost adaptation, and that's it. And the book dives into Mussolini coming to power in the interwar years. If Italy made an, any other horror films before the emergence of Dario Argento and Mario Bava, Poole doesn't mention it, which begs the question of why he mentioned Frankenstein if he wasn't going to dig into the subject a little more and talk about the Italian horror films, but it isn't there. Poole borrows a great, a good deal from his last book, In the Mountains of Madness, when describing H.P. Lovecraft for good and ill. While he gets very little of the facts wrong, the breakneck pace means that much of the nuance is lost and the stories are described in a word or two. Uh, Wasteland character wasteland's characterization of robert e howard and his fiction continues to show much the same flaws as his previous book the author clearly has little to no grasp of his subject here and is unwilling or unable to address the subject in anything like depth race and the weird tale is almost a random collection of sentences which Poole might have assembled from several different drafts uh, several different drafts at points and what should be the most Oh, sorry, what should be one of the stronger portions of the book ends up much poorer than it should be. Waste paper? Question mark. So this is actually a reference to a Lovecraft poem, which we should talk about. Not quite. It's the lit crit equivalent of a very long wiki article with plenty of citation needed. Uh, for readers with no background in the subject, it's starting point for casual pop history readers. It's comfortable volume on the shelf to dip into on a plane or a train cruise but it isn't an insightful or exhaustive look at the horror fiction surrounding the Great War and should not be mistaken for that. So, I, I call it hate so notes. It's, I mean, it's... I would say it there's... Is a pop horror kind of study. So. A dude. I, I, it's like... I, I think, no, I think you, he nailed it. If you're to this and that reviewer is like your professor somewhere, yeah. drop your class. <laughs> yeah, I see that too. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, uh, but see, I think his problem here, uh, that is Bobby Deary, I think that's how I'm saying his name, uh, correctly, because I'd never talked to him. He won't come on the podcast, doesn't listen to podcasts. In any case, um, I think the problem here is he's talking about, you know, you can't cite this in your, your undergraduate essay. And I would say, can. I'm sure you could, because most undergraduate essays are terrible. Um, but more importantly, that this isn't that kind of book, anyways. It isn't a primary source, and yeah, it, it, it's yeah, this is not the, I mean, it's not the book he wants it to be. But it's I mean, the book is good for what it is. But apparently, uh, this guy wanted the book to be something else, and that's mm -hmm. not fair to say. Oh, this is not the book I wanted. Where the, I mean, you're yeah. critiquing a you, you're comparing it to a book that doesn't exist. That's not, yeah, he says it's not, not exhaustive, fair. but like it doesn't promise to be exhaustive. Yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. Go for Historians, it. Historians, and Poole's a historian, right? Mm hmm. That's his training. Cultural historian, I guess. You piece together, like, you got, you got, like, like making a puzzle. 
and you got like a million pieces and you choose like a thousand mm-hmm. and you yeah. put it together in a, because a thousand page book with 500 pages of footnotes i've read those things they're not they're not fun mm-hmm. so they're, they're they're useful they have their place i guess but you know that's that's i think one of the libraries. One of the problems here is, uh, you know, he's writing, uh, Bobby Deary's writing a review for Amazon. So it says, rank it out of stars. That's the very first thing it asks you for, right? Or uh, important, most important, you don't even have to do anything other than that. You could write stuff about it, r- rating versus reviewing. And he's got like the lowest review on the wasteland that's on, on the Google, or sorry, hmm. Goodreads or the, um, or the uh, Amazon. Amazon Amazon listing. So it's got 18 ratings, right? And it's got uh, fewer reviews. But the important part, I think, you know, it's got f- a bunch of five-star ratings and four-star ratings. I really like looking at negative criticism because what I see in this essay is actually highly accurate. There's very few, other than the, you know, the point where he, something is mentioned in the wrong, you know, he doesn't mention it until later or whatever. I think it, he, he's really captured what this book is about. What I would point to, though, is the title is kind of unclear. I didn't know that it would be like that, but it says Wasteland, the Great War, and the Origins of Modern Horror. There's a word missing, and that word is film. This is a book about movies, not about, like, poetry or... Get this. That is true. Vladimir I, 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 I Putin is in this book. I, I mean, I... Why is Vladimir Putin in this book an election interference? I got no fucking idea. But <laughs> what I can yeah, tell that you, seemed like a, that seemed delu- like I thought the book was just like very solid delusional. up to that point politically, and then I was like, "You're having a fever dream. Like, like, what does that have to do with this?" Yeah, he's but he's kind of doing this throughout the book. I think he's, he is. He does do it throughout the book. Those but, little, which I don't mind really. I just kind of ignore those sections I, I, exactly. a little bit. Where is the EC um, Comics, yo? Politics, EC Comics and, is yeah, fucking huge. Yeah, dissertation, you wouldn't include that stuff. And the it's, reason it's not in here is because this isn't about the origins of modern horror in general. It's the origins of modern horror films. And if I had known that, I would have like been like more on board with what he was doing earlier. Because I was like, God, he's really not touching on literature. Like... Uh, I mean, he does touch on literature, but he doesn't like spend any time there. It's all about these movies. I mean, just like really famous people. He talks about like, or people who should be really famous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but why is Mackin in here so much? Because I think he likes Mackin. <laughs> and he read some Mackin, right? And Mackin's really interesting. But he's not and, really, and he, yeah, there's no films that are related crap. to Arthur Mackin. So um, all the criticisms that I think Bobby Deary gives are legit, except for the, you know, misplacing of where something is in the book. Um, but does that make it a bad book? I don't think so. But you have to know what you're getting, I guess. And, uh. I mean, there are mistakes. There are mistakes. Yeah, there are in the mistakes, book, absolutely. I that in any book. For instance, uh, like Marat was uh, assassinated, not executed. Mm. I noticed that one. Mm. Sure. Well, here's actually my question because I know that I know history better than I know like the lit in the film for sure, certainly, you know. Um, and my feeling on the history, I thought he did a really good job of just the the horror of the trenches. Mm-hmm. It was really well. I yeah. really felt it. That's it. Yeah, I think his, his thesis is good. But when he talked about like 
the world history of it, it's, it is kind of stuff if you took like high school world history. I'm mm-hmm. teaching AP world history now. If you took that course, you don't really learn that much about the history. You know, mm-hmm. the Balfour Decla- Declaration, the Russo-Japanese War, that, I mean, that history is pretty freshman stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if it's the same in the, like if someone who's ensconced in film and literature of this period, they may not get that much new out of it. Mm. That's what I'm thinking. So if that's the same, but, 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 yeah, but the question is who is the audience for this book? If, 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 if it's, if it's a uh, TC Mitts, then they have a vague idea what happened in world War one and even less vague idea about horror film. And so TC, it's, Man or for example, yeah, I'm stealing from an old old book. The, the, that yeah, or person, me, for example, like, like I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't, like you, I'm example. not steeped in history. Yeah, and I'm also don't know all this film stuff. So for me, it was a really cool way to like put everything together, and I love being reminded of history and being reminded of what happens because I don't really like spend a lot of time there. I I think that he did something interesting, and he's his thesis. I think. Right. Despite the sort of, you know, he's got a thousand, he's got a thousand out of a million puzzle pieces and he picks like, I don't know, 700 of those pieces are good. And then there's like 300 of those pieces. Like, why'd you pick those? Dud? Like, I don't get that. <laughs> well, why is Vladimir Putin in here? And, and there's so many pieces that, that World War Z. Why is that? that why is, why is he, or Annabelle? You know, uh, look, I references. think, you know, he's trying to do a through line from the yes. great war yeah. to present zombie. But, and so you have to talk about Max Brooks in that context. I well, also yeah, the great war never ended. Strictly academic history of the culture of this period. You want to do that. Go for it. Well, he's making a, he thesis is too much. His thesis is a little like, uh, his thesis is sound, but he like takes it too far and shoehorns things into it. Mm. And like, like, but when I say he takes his thesis too far, he says the Great War never really ended. We're like, you know, reading this book more than a hundred years after the end of the Great War. Um, but uh, uh, so, like, you know, the the Max Brooks, like, he's like talking about it on U.S. Army bases and how they're like canonical texts for mm-hmm. like like military nerds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like. You know, he's trying to say that's because, like, it's all about the Great War, which is, like, you know, culturally speaking, still ongoing. We haven't ever let go of it, even though he, like, contradicts that thesis when he starts talking about the movies that came out after World War Two and was like, well, nobody actually wanted to think about the horror anymore. Yeah. uh, So his thesis is good, I think. But he, he is he is all over the place. And there's so many things that are missing that are so important. So EC Comics, right? Uh, the, and the whole reaction against horror that hap- that he mentions, you know, in between the interwar years, right? Which was driven by the Frankfurt School people. Mm-hmm. And, like, and like, you know, the fact that we spend so much Frankfurt School guy. The, the fact that we spend so much talking about time talking about German movies and German filmmakers is, I think, interesting. Um, but uh, think about like, like it, 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 the thesis is very broad, right? It's that. It's a, it's about the origins of modern horror, not modern American horror or modern, you know, Western European horror or, mm. uh, it, it's yeah, very broad. Because he, thought, he even goes to like the Ringu and stuff. Yeah. He tries to make yes. this as global as he can. 
And and yet, like, but the, I think I think I might have mentioned this. I don't know to to Scott Poole or somebody when I heard about this book the first time. Uh, there is a series. Well, not a series. There is a magazine that came out in 1919 and goes into I think 21 in Weimar Germany. That is a precursor to Weird Tales. It comes uh, just before Weird Tales, and it is a weird magazine. It's called the Der Orchid Garden, and it's got a whole bunch of stories that are full of skulls and werewolves, and it is a weird magazine. It is a weird magazine in the same way that Weird Tales is a weird magazine. The thing is, is it's legacy is i don't speak german right so i i went through it with a german friend and i found a poem um and we translated it together a single poem from the first issue i think it was um and it's a really good poem it's not about world war 1 but it's you know it's uh it's got that horror sensibility that weird sensibility and the images that you just see flipping through this magazine are absolutely inconsistent consistent with pools pools uh thesis right that there is it, it, world war 1 did a number on the human psychology of the people who were impacted by it which is a lot of people right north americans mm-hmm. uh europeans a lot of people um were africans african africans too but you know we don't get a lot of uh, Afro. You know f- we we can see it in the in the works. We don't get a lot of works out of Africa that we we know about, right? So I can't I can't speak to that, but I can totally see it in in what's going on in in um, the writing about Africa mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing is, is it would be totally worthy of inclusion in this book, even even though it's mostly focused on film. Um. Because it's just, I, don't know, I think there's a lot of art too, Jesse. I don't know. I've been, that, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, there, you're right. It, you're I don't right. know. There might be as much about art as there is. You're well, right. I don't know. I'm not going to count the pages on that. Uh, I think, especially in the middle section on the body. The way to the explain stuff. this is not to say who is the yeah. Audience. When he talks about yeah, Picasso. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so photography. The way to explain everything. this is not to yeah. say you know, you know who is the who is this intended for? What is the audience? I think that's a mistake. I think what what you're seeing is Scott Poole's interests, and he puts it together as a book, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But this isn't the definitive story on this isn't a survey, which is I guess why uh, Bobby Deary is rating it two stars. And I see that. And he, he says, uh, a modest pop history of horror. I think that's exactly what it is. Right. Um, and so, for example, when Scott Poole talks about, uh, in Flanders Field, this very famous poem written by a Canadian surgeon in World War One who is killed in the war. And it's, uh, I, you guys all know this poem. I've no, heard I, mean, I, I know okay. the part of the book that mentions it. All right, I'm going to give you the poem because it it's propaganda in Canada. Uh, like we are hardcore propagandized on November 11th. If you're not wearing a poppy, um, you are kind of like in trouble, 
I mean, nobody's going to arrest it, it, you. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a four feathers sort of thing. It, 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 it's, it's like people who don't even know what it means are wearing it. And the money that is generated by buying these goes to the Legion, you know, the Royal Canadian Legion. So you're giving it to veterans. So I'm going to yeah, read this. Yeah, that's kind of the same in New Zealand. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's everyone hardcore. there has they buy poppies and they don't totally know it's, why. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. And so in, I, in, I, in, in the states, we love World War One, but like don't celebrate it in an annual way. Right. So what what I want to point out is that when he does this takedown of this poem and this thesis in this book, I'm like 100 percent cheering because it's fucking sick, yo. Like. This is a sick <laughs> poem. It is fucking sick. Because, like, uh, for years, I've been, you know, on November 11th, I don't wear the poppy. And when people ask me why I'm not wearing it, I'm like, I honor the veterans by knowing what the fuck happened in World War One. Now, usually I don't say what the fuck. Um, I, stu- uh, I study the history of it. So I care about what's going on. And that's why I'm not wearing the poppy. And, and of course, nobody cares about that, right? They just, they're looking at it it's like you're not conforming. You're not wearing a mask. You're not wearing gloves. You're not keeping social distance. They treat it like that, right? That it's just a social faux pas. So I'm going to read this poem to you and then I'm going to, uh, you'll see exactly why it's evil. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amid the guns below we are the dead short days ago we lifted a uh, we lived felt dawn saw sunset glow loved and were loved and now we lie in flanders fields take up our quarrel with the foe to you from failing hands we throw the torch be yours to hold it high if ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. So, to me, I don't think it's even very great poetry. I think it's okay. Um, but more importantly, the last stanza and the symbol of the poppy, fucking evil. Here's why. Yeah, cut that last one off. <laughs> right? But uh, the poppy is a, is, is a you know, Mr. Jim Moon podcast sort of has this built into its thesis the poppy is the is the dreaming uh and desensitizing flower right it's the flower you you associate with being put to sleep um and having pain removed right um and when my father was dying and was full of pain that's what they gave him the juice of the poppy and it was not good for me because seeing him you know high on this drug made me freaked out as I'm worrying about him dying. So I got a personal thing going on with the juice of the poppy, right? But more importantly, um, when you take this drug, this poppy, and you are put to sleep, uh, what do you do? You take up the quarrel with the foe who... What the fuck is World War One about? Why are we doing this? I got no fucking clue. It's not... Uh, all the people who signed up for it, like Lovecraft wanted to sign, like, what the fuck is he thinking? He does not understand reality. You're putting your, you're putting your fucking body in a meat grinder for nothing. For the, mm-hmm. for making, uh, like a few rich guys richer and to make, uh, some swaggering assholes, like, be able to lord it over their enemies. That is no good reason to do any of that. So, 
this surgeon, John McRae, who even is killed in this stupid war, is saying, you know, the way to, the way to keep the faith with us is the dead, the people who died, is to send more bodies into meat, meat grinder. This is why the United States is still in Iraq and didn't want to leave Vietnam and didn't want to leave, doesn't want to leave Afghanistan. Why? Well, you can't, you can't dishonor the dead and the mangled except by sending more people to get dead and mangled. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. This is so evil. And so when yeah, and he takes what's... it down in the book, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's what's really nice about the book. Like, it really, I felt, I really felt that, like, mm-hmm. that, that the way he describes shell shock and, and the horror of it and the way that translates into art and fiction. Mm-hmm. I'd never really connected that before. And I, I think he's got, yeah, he's got a really good thesis. And yeah. I think yeah, he shows I, it pretty I well. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, like, just Poole, this author. I don't know that much about him. I haven't read his other, other books, but he teaches at College of Charleston, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. South and, Carolina. And so what's this university, this university, it's a, it's ranked eighth in the South. So that's pretty, I don't know who cares about those rankings, right? Mm-hmm. Acceptance rate, 80%, right? Tuition's 12,000, uh, something like 85% are on some kind of financial aid. Mm-hmm. I, I looked this stuff up, right? So I don't know where he's from, if he's from the South or not, maybe not, probably not knowing the academic job market, but again. Maybe, maybe, you know, Jesse, but he wrote this really interesting sounding book called Never Surrender, Confederate Memory and Conservatism in the South Carolina Upcountry. Mm. Why I mention that is one, it's those themes are here too, in this book, conservatism and, and memory, mm-hmm. right? And there's a, if you want the really academic book on that, you can read like Race and Reunion by, what's his name, Blight, I think his name is, it's a really great book with all the footnotes that would have made that Amazon reviewer very happy, mm-hmm. but I'm getting the sense he's writing a book his students would dig. I, absolutely. Right? Maybe he taught this stuff. He probably he's. Oh, I'm sure. Stuff, right? I'm sure that's the and case. And he's presented it in a way that's accessible to his students, and that's something I really appreciate a professor doing. Mm-hmm. And then this book mm-hmm. on the South. Maybe he started teaching at this college, mm-hmm. and he he's in a conservative state with a bunch of Confederate memorialization, and he wants to know more about the Civil War, and he writes about that, even though it's not his primary field of research. Uh, to know his students, to know the world he's in. And I, I really appreciate that about this particular book. Mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's, he's, he's very grounded in the people he's around, I think. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I want to give That's you an like interesting fact about W. Scott Poole and this podcast. Um, one of the, uh, we did a show on one of his books. I guess Evan wasn't in for that. And I know, Will, you weren't in for that. Um, it was, uh, biography of lovecraft um and i think we all marissa you were in for that right yep yeah and paul um i think we all agreed that it was a really good biography like um maybe mm-hmm. not as exhaustive as the st joshi's which we haven't read the two giant two volume book um but probably not as exhaustive but i think he came up with some really interesting Theses, especially about his mom. I'm not sure if we can know the answers to these things, but uh, I, th- I thought it was really interesting. Learned a lot about H.P. Lovecraft. And um, uh, after that podcast, I'm pretty sure one of our listeners, Mike Nowak, who is a consistent uh, correspondent, um, went and he's in South Carolina. He went and took W. Scott Poole's classes, and he has been sending. Oh, that's the so cool. Yeah, right. Cool. And he's been sending yeah. um, 
you know, little reports is what, what, what they're studying, what's going on. So, um, I, I don't have any personal contact other than, you know, maybe I twi- tweeted at him or something, but, uh, I agree with that. What Evan said, this is, uh, this is a really good sort of introduction to the subjects. And because his thesis, I think is pretty good. It's a little bit wide. Uh, but, uh, I also noted that on, on downpour, they classify this, uh, in the section media studies. And that makes it wide enough to sort of cover things that aren't, uh, li- just straight up literature. Like it's, I guess. I mean, Putin. Well, not, not, not that wide. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's thing, fan writing. Yeah. Well, no, I think. I mean, it, no, no, hear well, me out. Hear me out. Okay. Like, um, like I, one, I think I, uh, I agree with what's been said about it being like a good introductory text. Like, I found it to be useful uh, for those things because I like haven't really been a horror guy, mm-hmm. um, so uh, you know that was interesting. Um, and I like knew who enough of the people were uh, in the book to like feel like oh I can I can follow this. Uh, but uh, I mean, he's just like writing about all the things that he's like really into and has mm-hmm. a lot of opinions about. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's that's what this book is. But he's also got a thesis, right? Which is not very fan writing. Uh, I mean, you can honestly. I read your piece, and it did have a thesis, um, but it was more modest than this one's. This one's got a bold thesis, right? He's saying horror as we know it is basically a re- reaction to World War One's tr- Western Front, uh, and especially weird horror, which is really cool. Like I hadn't thought about that before. That whole body horror, weird horror thing. Body yeah. horror, zombie, really exists. And Frankenstein, his thesis of explaining why Frankenstein is the way it is, like the movie, the 1931 movie. I um, know. I've never thought that. In that such a creepy totally way before, explains like, it much better. Because honestly, if you, when I read Frankenstein, I'm like, they fucking lied to me. It's, and everybody says it. They're all says it's a body sewn, it's, it's a guy made from a body sewn together. It never ever says that. What it says is that he went to graveyards and he, he got some bones. But he doesn't, well, it doesn't even say that. He, it's, it got remains. But it doesn't say he took those pieces and glued them all together. Going mm. to graveyards is totally normal in, if you're a doctor, because you're studying anatomy. And that's what he was doing. He was creating a new creature by modeling it on an old creature. And the way you do that is you go and study the body, right? So, the like, it never says he's stitching, right? <laughs> or gluing. There's none of that. And so when you see the Frankenstein film, of course, with all those body parts flying around and uh, I think, you know, what, what extracts he takes from letters and, and showing the connection to all these actors. I, I think some of them are weaker than others, you know. Uh, Dracula, uh, the connection to <laughs> Frankenstein is not as close a connection, but, you know, this director did this and that's very interesting. And it's all subconscious too, right? It's not like they're saying, I'm deliberately going to show you what World War One was like. <laughs> By creating a monster that looks like a whole bunch of body parts put back together. Um, but the stuff about the wax, the wax body, wax and bodies and, uh, the wax, like there's all sorts of, and the mirror, I think there's all sorts of good stuff going on in here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, somebody's, uh, adding a link, I think. 
Oh, oh I so, put so, there. So, uh, oh, Monster. What's a different type of book, but uh, Monster. Monsters of the Market, Unbeast Vampires and Global Capitalism is really good on Frankenstein. I just mentioned it. The, okay. the, the context of the just the abuse of the working class body in the 18th mm. and 19th century and, and how Shelley was, you know, building off that context. Mm-hmm. You know, the, hey, Jesse. The, there was kind of a revolving door from the from Tyburn to the medical school, schools and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the body snatcher uh, yeah. so, and uh, all that. Good. We'll go for a Paul. Yep. So, I mean, it's a side note, but now I realize where the phrase we are the dead in 1984 comes from it comes from that mm, poem mm-hmm. mm. i didn't realize that now because i had never read the poem it's like that's clearly clearly orwell is taking from that poem to uh and it's to, it's to, such to, a fucking piece of propaganda spiritual it's so it, it's evil the way it's abused yeah. and, and it's used it to to mollify and i think distract from like like the the horror that is how the hell did Canada even get into this stupid thing? Like, why? Like the the Quebecois, right? They're they're not into it as much. Not in World War One. Not in World War Two. They they're more resistant in Canada. You know, when you're studying, you know, all the problems in history that you get on the exam, right? One of the things is like, uh, what about uh, conscription? How did they? How did Mackenzie King deal with conscription issue in Quebec? Right? It's like. Okay, <laughs> this is the thing we have to solve. Well, the reason they're not into it is they don't have this queen and country or king and country thing. Um, they they don't. Yeah, they're occupied by you know the same queen as British Columbia and Alberta and Ontario, but they don't have a sort of a, that Lovecraft sort of insane love of uh, homeland that they've never visited. Instead, they have. You know, let's just do our own thing and not get involved in other people's business when it's other people's business. Uh, you know, they, they don't have any ties to France. Yeah. Uh, France fucking abandoned them and sold them out. So why would we go over there and fight for them when they're, they're not even willing to fight for themselves or whatever? Um, so, <laughs> so, the, like, yeah, the, the, the poppy is sort of, you know, when we see, uh, Justin, um, standing in front of the memorial, putting down this, uh, wreath full of poppies, and he's wearing the poppy, and everyone around him is wearing the poppy and pretending to be sad over something that happened long before they are born. What we're actually doing is saying, don't talk. That silence that we have to observe for these dead people is don't talk about what happened. And don't talk, you know, just remember mm-hmm. that we got to have all these blue helmets on because Canada's peacekeepers. We don't go out and fight wars. And the thing is, is that's generally true. We try not to get involved, but we go along whenever the government wants, you know, we have to go along with it. And so it's, it's kind of evil. And, uh, what I was saying, you know, what, go for it. Somebody was talking. Yeah. So, 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 um, yeah, I was. So, so, so I, I mean, when they were talking about the Gallipoli campaign and just how horrible it was, I was reminded of the all, all the World War One stuff that I saw in museums in New Zealand and the memorial in Australia. It's like, which, which, which uh, memorializes that in a very like brave, gallant, gallant, and uh, like noble sacrifice sort of way. But mm-hmm. as this book points out, it was it was a fucking disaster. 
the, the whole Gallipoli campaign. I mean, I, I appreciate the the book pulled no punches on just how stupid that whole idea was. Mm. Yeah, he, he's he, he's got the right attitude. Traumatic, I mean, particularly how traumatic. I mean, I mean, out of a pointless war, the whole Gallipoli campaign was just absolutely like, what is this even? It's surprising that Winston Churchill survived this politically to get, to come back to World War II after 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 that. Yeah, he, he had mess. to go into uh, sort of a hiding for a while. I mean, he quit. And, <laughs> you know, it was shameful yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Um, and of course, when you think about World War II and how who the great bad guy Clement Attlee, right? He's the bad guy because he didn't he tried to appease Hitler and it didn't work, and then he had to right. Well, actually, he's just trying oh, to avoid. Oh, you mean Evan Chamberlain? Ah, uh, sorry, Chamberlain. Yeah, Clement Attlee was the post-war president. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. I'm confusing my PMs. Uh yeah. So Chamberlain, he's got that piece of paper. We always see him in the newsreel waving it. Oh, I've talked to Mister Hitler. We're gonna have peace in our time. And then, like six months later, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> right? So what he's actually trying to do is prevent another fucking meat grinder, right? And. Yeah. And we think of him as the stupid idiot, and then Ch- Churchill comes in and saves the day. But you understand why you don't want Churchill in charge is because he is not fully learned his lesson, right, from World War One. Because he's a meat he is a meat guy. He's a, he's competent, but kind of he's 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 all in favor of empire, and that's how you get into this yeah. shit. So, uh, but there's the, also. This is the poem a, a I want military to military argument about offense versus defense. And the problem with World War One is I mean, besides besides all the problems of fighting in the first place, the problem with World War One is was the defense hat was king, so any war is going to be just like a, a a slog of death. I mean, you see the beginnings of this in the the American Civil War. There's there's hints that this is what's coming next for war. As far as the defense and machine guns and emplacements and and trenches are going to be what's going to be king, but it's World War One that's like the defense rules, and so people charge the trenches to their death mm-hmm. again and again and again. But it, but it's a cycle back and forth. The history Cast, castles make makes make attacking castles impossible. Then until we get bombards and then the offense gets on again, then then defense rules. It's a it's a back and forth. And the problem with World War One is we have a fully mechanized is as far as mobilizing but it's a but it's a defensive war so it turns out to be absolutely pointless fighting over the same town of Verdun and stuff over and over again to no effect whereas world war ii is offense rules i mean it's world war ii is a disaster in a different way but it's but it's not the same fighting over the same ground for five years like world war one is because it's an offensive not a defensive war you, do you remember? Well, I think Paul? there's another issue here that Jesse's getting at that yeah. that strikes yeah. me. Yeah, how much, how much um, ink has been spilled? Like blaming people for the Second World War who just whose primary motivation was avoiding war. Chamberlain, Stalin, those you know, of course Hitler. It's blank. He wanted war, but these <laughs> yeah. other figures well, put in the conversation of why the war started. Chamberlain well, and Stalin, they, they were just committed to. Not having another war, and I think yep. right. to, to criticize right, like the- such is to separate yourself from just how horrible, how, how trauma, traumatic, how, how horrible the war. Who is to blame yeah. for World War II? It's a guy named Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, right. That's the guy who's responsible for it, 
And that's crazy, but that's, I think, the probably, you know, the primary culprit, other than, you know, if you, you're saying, like, who held the knife? It was Hitler. Who put him on that path? It was Woodrow Wilson, right? That, that they fucked the country up so hard uh, that they, uh, uh, like, this is, this is actually really important to me. Like, all the stuff, uh, you know, the crazy Russia gate, Ukraine gate shit that happens, like, that gets in people's like brain worms gets in your head like brain worms and then he can't like well vladimir putin's interfering in the election in this book this is so fucking stupid the thing is is that brain worm shit is actually what what caused hitler to have an audience right like there is disenchantment yes. there is fucking something going on what the fuck are we doing we never we never gave up a, an inch of ground. They fought on two sides. Germany fought on two sides of this war. And then at the last minute, you know, they, they're winning every battle. They don't lose any of the battles, right? At the last minute, they just give up. What's to explain this? Well, we're exhausted, right? We used up every supply. We didn't have any of our colonies bringing in stuff. No matter how many great uh, chemists we have, we can't manufacture artificial food. This is why we go back to that. Uh, great, uh, novel, right? Uh, the, what's the one, Marissa, the one with the, under Germany? Everything's artificial. Oh. What the heck is it called? I don't know. Oh, the City of Endless Night? City of Endless oh. Night. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That, Hello, Hastings. That is the, that is the alternative, right? You just, you, you nestle in and you make everything chemically, right? No, no imports. Just use all your resources and breed the shit out of your people so that you can keep fighting this war. So if you don't do that and you don't have a good explanation as to why your, your government's fucked up and how the, how your enemies were not like reasonable. And it all goes back to this pride. Like if you go away from Wilson and you take Wilson out of the equation, why is Canada doing this? Well, we have to stick up for the motherland. Why is Britain doing this? Because we're better than them. And more importantly, we're in charge. And France, we rule the us. world. We rule the waves. We yeah. rule the world. How dare you try and come up against us? Mm-hmm. Right. So all of this is this crazy shit. It all stems not about, you know, some legit thing that any of the people who are actually doing any of the fighting are over. It's about what these few guys at the top were doing. And then instead of saying we fucked up, I can't believe we did this. We got to change things domestically. What do they do? They blame. They say it was all them. Remember what they did at the beginning of the war? Look at that. Look at that. They did all that raping and indulgence. Those fucking evil guys. We had to do this. And and then when, you know, the people at home are saying, my son died because some people got raped. Um, well, what are we going to do about it? Okay, let's, let's uh, extract value from those people over there who started the war. Let's crush them and and make them really feel it and i think it's even mentioned in this book all the people who are starving in germany after after world war one at the beginning to extract maybe it was a different book i was reading it. he mentions that in this book that like it was like equally cruel to like starve people as it is to kill them yeah but after the war is over and they're still keeping the pressure it's like the sanctions on Mm -hmm. you know countries that are Iran. Iran is a good example. Or Cuba is another good example. Yeah. Cuba is the best example. Cuba is like, a really good that, example that, that, because they've done all the things that that the city of Endless Night has done except for the evil shit, right? They're sort of saying, look, we have to do these measures. They've got these weird dual 
monetary system and they they their their whole existence is you know it's so cuba is so fucked up you know they live in a hole in the wall if you want to if you want to do business with the united states uh by ship that ship cannot have gone to cuba in the in the last six months so you're gonna go deliver some cargo to uh miami right then your next stop would be cuba and then cuba back to miami that ship can't go from Cuba to Miami for six months. There's just a law. <laughs> Why? To punish Cuba so that any goods that are brought in can't, like, where would you rather go with your goods from China? Go to Miami or New York? Or would you rather go to Cuba? Don't want to go to Cuba. The market's a hundred times smaller. So what are the prices of foreign goods? Super high. And yet somehow they manage not to you know, starve to death. That's admirable. And the fact that the United States has been doing this for 50, 60 years, insane. Absolutely insane. And it's the same kind of evil pride that the British were running. So, um, the same, same isolation in the, yeah. that, you know, the Soviet Union. Absolutely. So more, yeah, and 90 and, years. Yeah. So I, uh, there's a poem I think should be replaced, uh, in the Canadian mind and every country that, talks about world war one's mind instead of that horrible uh, uh mccray poem this is by wilfred mm-hmm. owen i sent it to you to the group here um it's called dolce et decorum est uh bent double like beggars under sacks knock kneed coughing like hags we cursed through sludge till on the haunting flares we turned our backs and towards our distant rest began to trudge men marched asleep Many had lost their boots, but limped on, blood-shod. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf, even to the hoots of gas shells dropping softly behind. Gas, gas, quick, boys, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But some still was yelling out and stumbling and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea, I saw him drowning. In all my dreams before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in, and watch the white eyes writhing in his face... Is a hanging face like a devil's sick of sin. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth corrupted lungs, bitten as the cud of vile incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with much such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie. Dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. Damn. Fuck. Um, yeah, uh, maybe for the listeners who are not cased in Latin, we should translate the Latin. Yeah. It's from Horace. It is fitting and sweet to die for one. And he, he's lying, and his poem puts the lie to that phrase. In, in that, oh my God, that's that's powerful, Jesse. Like, just Super imagine powerful. someone drowning in gas. Oh God, 
So imagine on November eleventh, yeah, gives no fucks. You have this poem, and then the recruiter comes to your school and says, "Hey, why don't you sign up? You're going to get all these benefits." Mm. Yeah. What about uh, that old line? Too honest. Dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. It's fucking evil. Yeah. It's fucking evil. And, yeah. and it, hiding, hiding the truth of what it was like, uh, it's evil. There's a, there's a real sense that the horror that we see after World War II and World War I is a way of psychologically mass dealing with it. The, the, I really am interested in why EC Comics was so popular after World War II. World War, World War, before World War One and World War Two, in between the interwar years, they had comics, but they weren't about horror. And then as soon as the kids whose parents had come out of World War Two have kids, you know, who are growing up, the EC Comics are if you look at them, and they're not just EC, there's other other companies too. They're, Archie did horror comics. Harvey did horror comics. Cr- Everyone did. It's like there's these guys whose faces are rotting off. There's like radiation. Oh, it's gnarly. Fears. It's it. You can you can understand why an adult looking at these kids comics that are about zombies and rotting bodies and all these. I mean, the tales from the crypt, right? The, the, if you've seen the show. Um, and he doesn't talk about this. And the thing is, is it's the same re- reaction. You have this mass collective horror at what's going on. And then what happens? Parents get freaked out because their kids are doing this. And some guy comes up with a thesis that our kids are going to be turned into juvenile delinquents, right? By reading this stuff. And then you get the comics code authority, which goes, Right into the seventies and into the, I mean, it just died like in the 21st century. And it has like a specific list of things you're not allowed to show. It's like, there's no blood allowed. You can't do this. There's some like patriotic stuff in there too. Like you can't show corrupt, uh, corrupted police officials. You can't show a judge ever doing. <laughs> there's all sorts of evil shit. Um, that's banned, but the, the main horror that's banned is like, you're not allowed to actually show the undead. Like, you can't show people mm. who come back to life. And that is freaky. You can't use the word weird. Uh, there's, the, it gets real specific. And the, the way, like, if you follow, this is sort of a separate book. If somebody could write, I'm sure somebody has written. Um, if, like, the way they got out of that in the 70s so that you have, like, there's, like, a bunch of characters that are sort of, horror-like before eventually they get around it. One of the ways they got around it was they had this company that wasn't under the comics code because it was voluntary, Curtis Publications, which is also gives us... That's where Conan's uh, nude nudeness stories and more bloody stories are shown. Um, the Robert E. Howard stories are adapted. But uh, Dracula was one way... There was an exception for literature being adapted so dracula was 
turned into a comic book ongoing series character and Frankenstein <laughs> and right. So they found ways around it. Um, but the best way, this is the clever, they actually had a guy on staff whose name was Wolfman, <laughs> Marv Wolfman. <laughs> and if you follow the thread, they started like, they started putting, you know, Wolfman on the cover <laughs> and in the, and the, you know, the splash page. And they're like te- te- dipping their toe in the water to see if the censors will get upset by that. And they said, oh, well, that's just his name, you know? And then that, that allows them to do Werewolf by Night and a, a whole bunch of horror figures. But if you look at the very earliest horror monsters, um, they are like, that's why the thing and it, uh, and, uh, swamp thing is the swamp thing, the heap, all of these characters are, they're not dead exactly. Or if they are, it's, it's like some sort of thingy, right? And they get a way to go around it. So there's all sorts of ways to get past it. Uh, but the censorship was there because if you look at those original horror comics coming out of World War II, they are freaky. Like you see like some guy's face dripping off. And, you know, <laughs> it, it say that is super scary because it's like radiation and, you know, nuclear war shown on the next page and like all these bodies. It scares the shit out of you. And you don't want to be scared the shit out of if you want to control the population and feed them bullshit. Uh, today, this morning, um, I was looking at the paper that got delivered to my mailbox. And I like, that's uh-huh. weird. Newspaper delivered to my mailbox. It's the Epoch Times. You guys know this magazine or newspaper? No. No. Okay. So there's a... Yeah, I know it. Okay. There you go. No, it's banned in China. The Falun Gong one? That's the Falun Gong one. So the Falun Gong is a yeah. kind of religious, uh, practicing, I don't know, spiritual organization that's exiled from China and illegal in China or whatever. But more and importantly, like creepy as heck. Uh, they are super creepy, but more importantly, they run a propaganda against China, uh, newspaper. And they also have a, like a dance company that they, Raise the, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it, it's tr- traditional Chinese dance, they call it, but it's not really traditional Chinese dance. It's just, in, in any case, it's kind of like Scientology, but for Chinese. Um, and obviously just different story behind it, but it's a, it's a cult or religion or whatever. And the whole newspaper, I don't know, the six page newspaper I got, it's just anti Chinese stuff. And they're saying like, uh, it mostly based on the coronavirus. Basically, they've got a hate on for the Chinese state, right? And I'm like, this is actual, actual propaganda delivered to my mailbox, right? Right. As opposed to what Vladimir Putin did, which is absolutely nothing. And I mean, $100,000 on Facebook ads, half of them after the election. Okay. Um, and then think about this. Um, uh, there's a hashtag on Twitter that got removed. It's Biden dropout. Who is interfering with our election? Understanding how history works and who controls the media and who allows censorship to happen is your only defense, really, against us being railroaded into another fucking one of these wars. It's the only defense mm-hmm. we have. Understanding the propaganda and, and how evil and insidious it is. Like there, uh, there shouldn't be a 
the whole thing about John McRae's poem. It's not that good as a piece of <laughs> literature. It's not powerful as a piece of literature, except in the job that it's doing. It's a soporific. It's an analgesic. It's something that makes you go to sleep and you just sit there silently waiting. Think about the dead people and think of what you owe them. That's not what we should be thinking about. We should be thinking about who killed my mom? Who killed my dad? Right. Why the fuck is my brother Johnny all mangled like that? And then that's a, a real defense. So this this book is really interesting because it taps into these and also buys into some of the of the propaganda like it taps into why this stuff is is undercurrent and you know all the stuff about uh, Goebbels uh, censoring films right this is it's really interesting it's mm-hmm. really important I, I think Poole has a, a little bit of a worry here and it, it's not really well documented and it's you know especially in that chapter on fascism I think that's where it really comes out where he's Got some concern that some of these motifs and and, and themes can get repurposed and revived, mm-hmm. zombie like, by the alt right. I, I think you know, that's uh, yeah, he's got Steve Bannon in here, concern. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some of that's kind of old news by the point that this yeah. book was even written. But but you know, I I don't know. I, I've thought about this with with Lovecraft a little bit and his current kind of popularity. And it's just there's no causation that I can see, but I'm just really curious how popular Lovecraft is or may be among like the all right. I don't know the answer to that. I I I, I don't I think, know either. I think like my sense would are like there people the, who read Lovecraft whole... and then those yeah. themes we keep talking about lately. My my sense with the like all right people. Yeah, you know, maybe he's right. Yeah, like my sense with the alt right people who uh, revive the pulps is that like they don't actually read the pulps a lot. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Um, yeah, the trying to revive something that never actually was—it's an imagined, uh, imagined literature than a real literature. There was. It's funny you bring that up. There, there was a. uh, I don't know. I, 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 I worry about classifying people as alt right when they're not. Because honestly, uh, this that happens is a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, people label also. So somebody uh, tweeted. Uh, I I I was tweeting about a Nick Carter comic, uh, not comic, a uh, pulp. You know, Nick Carter. Is, uh, you guys probably don't remember. He's a he's a super spy or detective. Yeah. Right? Um. So I'll just bring it up here. Um. He's mentioned in the other Scott Poole book. Um. And remember when uh. H.P. Lovecraft is, um, oh, I, here I tweeted it back in 2017. In Monster America's book, In the Mountains of Madness, H.P. Lovecraft called himself Carter after Nick Carter in his LARP like adventures. So remember oh. when he's out in Providence with his friends carrying a, a pistol <laughs> and, you know, investigating, tailing people, like, like kind of scary and also kind of cool. The good it. thing I probably he didn't kill himself, kill anybody with that pistol. That's probably a good thing. We don't know about that, but I guess, you know, maybe he's going to use that pistol on himself because he's going to drown himself in the river. We don't know. He's a dangerous kid, right? 
but he's reading this series, Nick Carter, uh, Nick Carter Weekly, Weekly, in this issue I happened to tweet out like two days ago or yesterday, I think it was, yeah, I think it was yesterday. I said, the character in magazine Nick Carter likely inspired H.P. Lovecraft's character, Randolph Carter, at least in terms of names. And then somebody whose Twitter handle is at self-supremacist, which is probably tells you something. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Where uh-huh. H.P. Lovecraft kitty cat? And I said, uh, this is Frank Belknap Long's cat, and it's Lovecraft holding a cat. And then he says, cute kitty, what's its name? And I'm like, I think I know where this is going. And mm-hmm. I said, Felis, because that's the name of Frank Belknapong's cat. And he says, where's N-word, man? And then I said, in the dictionary, because that's where it is. Now, what is he trying to elicit? He's trying to elicit the N-word. Why is he trying yeah. to do that? Because that's how deep Lovecraft is in the alt-right and the and the thing is is whether that person is alt-right or opposite of that that's what mostly people know is sort of the surficial level now <laughs> i not i don't think call of cthulhu is anywhere close to lovecraft's best story um so the what's the description in the book here um is lovecraft's uh, uh it's a giant death's head with wings or something right uh, which, yeah, I don't think what? that's exact. That's from the book, right? Pretty sure he said what? it was a giant death's head with wings or Godzilla, right? Uh, with tentacles. To, with tentacles. So um, it's hard to say what the answer to that is, but I guess it's – it's if uh, the interesting thing about Steve Bannon is that he actually has read some shit. He's a thought leader in the sense that he's read some books, whereas most of the people mm-hmm. who are associated with him politically, and I'm talking about Trump, who's mentioned in this book, has not read a fucking book in his whole life, right? Not in his whole life. And even the book that he wrote, his autobiography, didn't even write that, right? So it's not like – these aren't deep thinkers generally. And so when cultural Marxism is thrown around, I think that might even be mentioned in this book. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. it's, it's propaganda, but it's not propaganda that people understand the meanings of. They're just repeating stuff they heard and don't really understand. And that's totally real. But the way, the place that it comes from is not, you know, there's a whole bunch of racist people. The place that it comes from is there's a massive distress, massive distress. And the response from the elites is not to deal with it, but rather to spin. Right. And that's mm. where we're in. That's how we got into this place. So if people are turning to Lovecraft looking for, uh, I don't know, political stuff, they're looking in the wrong place because his politics is not supportive of much <laughs> it's stupid and not stuff that most of the alt-right people would want to sign up for you know like loving england uh and you know <laughs> that's not that's not what they're there for i mean they might go for the some of the lines right but they're not going to go for the actual philosophy that he has and and so more importantly owning owning the idiots owning the 
the uh, elites is better than nothing. And those are, uh, memes are easy, right? And they're fun. So why not do it? And yet yeah, it's dangerous to believe mm-hmm. that shit, right? So what's this book that you're sending, Evan? Oh, because you were mentioning the social context, the social mm-hmm. distress in the backdrop of, of contemporary... It's called Kill uh, All Normies? I guess, internet politics. Kill All Normies, Angela Nagel, is a pretty good book. I, I think she just spent time on 4chan and, and alt-right forums, and she comes to the conclusion that it's, it's, she, she's a leftist. So she comes to the conclusion that it's largely a, like there is, there's something the left needs to talk about is that there is profound social crisis, and the culture yes. wars can't mm-hmm. win it. And there needs to be essentially class politics to address the issues at the heart of the alt-right, like this profound alienation yeah. of a generation. Yeah, but her, her class politics are we need immigration controls. Yeah, I, I suppose. Like, like that. I mean, like she, like, uh, like it's, like, uh, I mean, like obviously there's profound distress, but like, I, I mean, I think she like bends the stick like way too far and says like, like, you know, we need to like, uh, basically embrace xenophobia because it like is part of a real really? phenomenon of suffering, and you know that's not good. There's a lot of. You know, we, we can fix it by addressing these, these concerns and they bracket them, right? And then they say, I haven't read this book. It sounds like you may have, Will. Um, what I see is there's a lot of, you know, let's, let's solve it in this very narrow way. We agree on these things. Let's, right? And the thing is, is that is usually not like, how about the fact that, you know, one third of Americans, didn't pay their rent on April 1st. We're recording this on the 26th. One third of Americans yeah, didn't pay their rent like on that, April yeah. 1st. 30%. Uh, when they still aren't able to pay it on May 1st, what's going to happen? I mean, <sighs> it's, uh, this is, this is massive distress and, it's like uh, it, it, this is we're in the perfect time for understanding like how things happen. Uh, uh, there was a uh, the I love the really there's so many great memes. There was a great meme uh, somebody tweeted um, and it was you know the distracted boyfriend meme. So there's a guy walking down the street, <laughs> girl on his yep. right, and uh, another girl coming towards the camera, right. And he's looking back at the girl coming towards the camera and he's like, his face is like, oh, sweet ass or whatever, right? Uh, and the, the, just, the girlfriend beside him is looking at him with contempt. And, uh, the guy's name was Corin. Oh no, no, his name is Teen, T-I-N-E. And the girl he's with is Corin, right? <laughs> Corin. But he's looking at Gillo and I'm like, you captured it, man. <laughs> That's exactly it. I'm with the I'm with the quarantine, but I'm looking real hard at that guillotine. And it's like that's exactly where we we are on. I've been thinking this is uh, for a long time. Like, how can Americans just like put up with this and continually put up with this? At some point, they're not going to. They're gonna get uh, into the streets somehow. And I've heard a little bit of stuff about that in the last week, but it's very hard to know because the mainstream media is all worried about their hair products 
and the fact that they haven't got their haircuts and, and they're doing their terrible shows from their home and they look like podcasters never done a podcast before. Very first episode. <laughs> you guys are all better equipped now just from having a few podcasts with me than most of these guys. It's pathetic. And and the fact that they aren't out there on the streets reporting on, you know, these rent strikes that are beginning to happen. Uh, this is where you get another world war with or civil war or something. And I don't know. Yeah. Like when you th- go back to the blame game question about world war one, mm-hmm. right? You're getting into this like Germany didn't, see, you know, didn't seem to lose the war. They're just exhausted. Right. But there's another context to this that really couldn't have been discussed. And that was, you had a revolution, right? <laughs> you had a working class revolution in Germany mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's easier to talk about the Jews than to talk about like, a, you know, a class war that was mm-hmm. being fought in 1918 in Germany. And, and you also right, have so. to remember that all these soldiers coming back from the war, they don't know yeah. that they've lost. It, it, they don't know, understand the reasons that they've lost. They know that they're ordered away from the front. They also have been told that they're, what they're doing is essential. And, what they're being presented with is you have to eat this shit sandwich. In fact, there's no shit in this shit sandwich because we're all fucking starving. Right. And they, they feel like they've, they've been, I mean, they've been propagandized just as much as the Western front, you know, the, the British and the Americans and the Canadians. They're all being propagandized too. And they're being told this is the truth. This is the reality. You need to do this for these reasons. And then the rug is pulled out from under them and their reward for this even more distress and they're being blamed their country is being squeezed for you know having caused the war and and the best you can do is to say well you know stuff happens that's no not acceptable and when the economy goes to shit and people are like literally starving again and your leaders are shit and like the left is in power and unable to deliver on anything. And and how far left are they? Uh, more importantly, but I mean, like the the, the social democrats are, were. Yeah. I mean, they were Marxist five seconds before they were in power. Right, but uh, in what sense are they like? So you know, talking about she's a leftist or whatever. I don't really care about any of that stuff. Uh, what I care about is like, are you being nice to people? Uh, are you treating them as human beings and not trying to crush them? Because if you're oh doing that stuff well, like the the but the, the context was like the social democratic party had been like you know this political movement in germany going back like you know into the 19th century had been like like uh like the kernel of like working class life in germany was like formed in this counterculture around this political party that came to power mm-hmm. after world war one and like the result of that was just like you know, the people didn't get anything because the socialists couldn't deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, it's it's like you're betrayed in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And we're meanwhile, in a situation now where the after forty years, fifty years of neoliberalism, where the left really doesn't know how to govern, doesn't understand power. So even yeah. if they do take, power, even if AOC is the next president or something after Biden loses, and, and you know, there's no, there's no, there's no one on the left who knows how to govern to actually implement anything because the public sphere has been so disemboweled. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, the, the, and that was probably the case then, too. Right? This book. Yeah, yeah. It read, mirrors uh, the, the current moment. Close to Walmart, That's what I'm saying. It, it takes on the Soviet Union. And the question is, well, wasn't the Soviet Union planned? Why did they suck so much? And the conclusion of those authors was they didn't know anything about running a society, really. And so so that you're, you're pre- previewing our next nonfiction book called The People's Republic of Walmart. Yeah, <laughs> it's got an interesting second mm-hmm. on the Soviet Mm-hmm. That it, it wasn't nearly as planned as the U.S. economy was because in the U.S. you had massive corporations that have been planning economies of scale, you know, for 50 years, you know, since the, you know, the robber barons. Mm-hmm. So the Soviets didn't have anything. So the but great it, it is a weak it is a danger, though, if you don't have an alternative politics where people really know how to govern. They're just an opposition party that plays around with cultural politics. It's. It's not, you know, you know, if Sanders would have won, it would have been the same thing, I think. Can't win but if you're... What could he actually implement it? If you're willing to capitulate to ridiculous stalking points. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the line that... It, it really is the line that everybody wants to ignore. But it, it was his line was, um, Donald Trump is the most dangerous president in modern history. That's what he says, right? Yeah. Um, in what sense? In what sense? Wait, whose line is that? Is that that's Paul's line? Sanders that's it. Sanders' line. Oh, you guys don't. Know it's Sanders. still his line. And the thing is, is mm-hmm. so his solution is to endorse a guy whose brain is mush and who has, you know, a credible rape in his past. And that's going to solve more of the same. The guy who implemented like a lot of terrible policies and says, I'm going to cut Social Security and do all like, oh, he's just like a terrible, terrible candidate. This is not the way to go. And yet, as you say, there's nobody who's who's has any experience running things. Well, the people not paying their rent are leading the way anyway. Sorry if we've yeah, gotten a little yeah, field yeah. here. But, well, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, in any case, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, I, I think I, my like social democrat digression, but it's just sort of like, you oh, know, you're right. uh, there's a lot of pain going on in German society at that time, uh, like unclear direction. Um, uh, here come the Nazis, you know, people are like comfortable with like being in a socialist workers party, so it's like we're the national socialists. Who, uh, when you see when you see guys in the street angry, and they're they're getting they you know whether you agree with them or not, but they're not like just sitting passively, not, you know, just letting things get worse and worse. It's okay. Just calm down, go home, stay in your house. Um, you can understand why people who are upset are going to sort of buy into that shit. And it's not like they all said, you know what? These Nazis, we, we, we like their ideas. It's more like at least they have passion as opposed to the, the shit bags who got us into this situation. Who are saying, you know, just calm down and don't worry about it. We're working on it because you can't just I mean, do I, that forever. That's uh, the, the fucking Russian Revolution happened because of this shit. But Jesse, I know we talked about this before, but I don't think on air. Like, I just don't see where like spontaneous revolutions happen and spontaneous revolts happen and riots no, and those things are meaningful time. and significant. And and I'm interested in that kind of stuff, but. You know, even in the American Revolution, you had that aspect of things. You had like the street 
uh, movements, yep. right? The popular mass protests, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you also had political institutions that were developing independent of the British state that could do a lot of the governing, mm-hmm. right? And they were mostly conservatives or whatever. But it's, you know, I, I think, to, not to get too esoteric in history here, but the populists, the farmers movement of the late 19th century, is a great example of a very, very interesting political movement that was built on a strong movement culture from the Granges, cooperative movements that had been going on for decades prior to the political explosion. And yeah, that's another failed movement. I mean, they failed because they joined hand in hand with the Democratic Party. <laughs> well, course, but yeah, I, I, but I, they, I they, knew how to go, they knew how to do things because they had been yeah. running cooperative farm. Oh, well, I wouldn't say cooperative farm, but they were cooperative you know, selling of agricultural cooperatives. They had an intellectual movement behind it, intellectual journals. They were, they were preparing to, to govern before they joined up with the Mm -hmm. Democrat. I I mean, there are remnants you can see here in the Midwest of that movement. I mean, the the Democrat party in Minnesota is called the DFL Democrat for labor. There's communes in Iowa. There's so the, so the, 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 the wreckage of their failed, Attempts are still to be seen, unfortunately. So, uh, but I think the rage needs to be it, it. It needs to be organized, and that's why a red strike is awesome and amazing. Yeah, but a lot of that is happening just because people can't pay their rent. It's, it's yeah. Well, of, no, it's it's there's, but the, it's not really being organized. You know, I talk about yeah, the there, Russian Revolution in nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen Russian Revolution isn't the first time they tried it, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's just the time it worked. So I don't I don't anticipate by 2021 uh the United States will be rather different. But I do expect that it's going to be on the path to be rather different because you know what we see stories like uh Trump's lack of action, right? Means that different states are doing different things uh to solve it in different ways. I heard different things about what North Dakota is doing, right? Versus what California is doing. And I saw people saying, you know, these are the regions, right? This regional reaction. People are playing up on New York and, you know, and then saying, oh, he's going to be the new nominee when Biden's replaced or whatever. I don't think that any of that stuff is of interest. But what I do see of interest is this is, this is like the cusp of something. And it isn't because things were going along all peachy keen. You don't get, you don't get uh, mm-hmm. Trump right after Obama because Obama did such a perfect job of running everything, right? <laughs> if you, if you're, if you're buying into that shit, then you're, you have no way to explain the result. Uh, obviously, you know, the candidate he endorsed had something to do with it, but the fact that he would endorse that person is sort of the problem. And so, we don't have, you know, a single royal family to execute the heads of. If we did, you know, you could see something more like the revolution in Russia. But it also, you know, it it's not, I don't know. I think, my, I think why the Russian revolution is interesting is however unprepared they may have been in practice to actually govern a society that's the size and planet and all that. And I mean, what they achieved is amazing. You know, a civil war after a revolution, winning that and, and all that. But I think what I like about Lenin is he talked about power. And I, I think that's 
what needs to be the center of the conversation. Didn't didn't you have it's like power. a Lenin tweet yesterday, Will? Uh, the other day, uh, yeah. I mean, my uh, my musing on Lenin's birthday was the like, you know, like like the reason like uh, like we can like still like Lenin and the Bolsheviks so much is that uh, you know uh, they didn't like have like one weird trick that they were trying to like <laughs> yeah, that use because like, like a lot of the like <laughs> socialists today like well if we just talk about X. Or if we just like do X kind of thing, then we'll be able to like, you know, like, like, like fooling them into letting us win. And it's That's like, right. no, like, like the Bolsheviks were like, okay, here's the plan. Like, uh, you know, like we're going to like destroy this like form of government and we're going to replace it with a different form of government. And like, then we're going to like, uh, have a like completely different kind of economy. And that's like what our goal is here. And we're going to, like, have to have a violent confrontation with our enemies to do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, like they suffered for those beliefs. Like, Lenin, like, was doing all of his writing in England for a reason, right? It's because mm-hmm. he couldn't be in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he, uh, you know, so, we, so we, we, we appreciate that they're, like, not trying to, like, short sell themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also appreciate that they actually, like, uh, considered that there were, like, important, like, uh, cultural differences between different kinds of people uh, in the Russian Empire, uh, that the Russian state, uh, you know, oppressed other nationalities. And so Lenin called the uh, 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 the Russian Empire uh, a jailhouse of nations. <laughs> uh, and so they, like, were recognizing we're going to have to, like, like in order to, like, uh, overthrow, uh, like, the Russian imperial state... Like this workers' movement, this peasants' movement of Russians is going to have to make common cause with uh, the different national liberation movements in Russia, and so like, you know, that's what uh, uh, it's like. All like very like like practical, uh, but it's like people thought about politics in a way that wasn't like, what are we going to do next year? It's like, what are we going to do over the next couple of decades? Mm-hmm. I, uh, and that's that's what I like about Lenin. I love it. Um, I, I, I've been watching a lot of Russian movies, um, you know, World War II Soviet movies. Uh, well, they're, they're modern movies filmed in Russia, but then, you know, modern style Hollywood movies, but for Russian audiences and with Russian, you know, language. Uh, so they're not coming out of the American tradition. They're informed by Hollywood's, you know, computer graphics and that sort of thing, but they're not Hollywood movies. They're not produced for uh, American audiences. So one of them I, I tweeted about recently is called Panfilov's 28 Men. It's a 2016 uh, Russian movie. Um, I'm going to just read what I wrote here because I think it's pretty funny and interesting. Uh, it's about 28 legendary men from the 316th Rifle Division in the Battle of Moscow. And funded by crowdsourcing, Russia, the Russian government, Kazakhstan, and a World War II computer game. <laughs> <laughs> called War Thunder, which is a free-to-play game. Um, and there's it's a really weird thing at the beginning. There's an ad, it's almost like an ad for War Thunder, which is a game that a lot of people I know play. Well, at least one guy I know who's a Republican who voted and says, Trump's my guy, <laughs> you know, is playing. Oh, God. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, I'll keep reading my tweet here. Um, and then... I wrote, instead of starting with the action, the movie starts with a scene setting. It nods towards the quote-unquote legendary status of the story it is telling. 
uh, has the officers laying out a plan, soldiers tell each other tall tales and semi-mythological stories while they dig foxholes and build dummy howitzers. So this is the battle for uh, Moscow, where you know they're trying to stop the the Panzers from rolling in. Um, and then not a shot is fired for the first half hour of the film. It's all dialogue, character building. Uh, this is a film that could not have been made in Hollywood. Um, usually they would start with a battle and then have the dialogue. Uh, as to, as to the story being a true story, and I quote from the Russian culture minister, uh, it is my deep conviction that even if this story was invented from start to finish, it is a sacred legend, which it's in, simply impossible to besmirch, and people who try to do it are total scumbags. <laughs> so that's this is, like not at all fashion. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, and all around the Soviet Union, I added uh, a tweet at the bottom showing the picture, uh, the former Soviet Union. Um, there are statues of the the survivors of the 28 men. Um, and they have sort of that final scene is them showing those statues. Um, so the movie knows that it's kind of bullshit, uh, but that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is, you know, it's propaganda, but uh, if you follow the story of like how the propaganda spread... Like, people got in trouble for, for lying about this, but they also got, you know, the story kept going. And, yeah, even in, a, you know, 50, 60 years later, when the story is known to be false, it doesn't matter because it's important. And it's a story of defense. And what's so funny when I watch these, so many of these Soviet, not Soviet, Russian movies uh, about World War II, they aren't anti-German. And that's so strange. Like, they, uh, their Nazis are the enemy for sure, but they're not anti-German movies. They're anti-Nazi movies in a certain sense, uh, because they're fighting the Nazis, but they're, it's about the, def it's the great patriotic war, right? It isn't like, they are, these are Nazis, let's kill those guys. We hate those guys. You know, the way uh, Hollywood movies do Nazis, right? Is like, I, I love Quentin Tarantino movies, but what does he do? He, he, ha he has these false endings where Hitler's, you know, in the movie and then they kill him. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's not in the film. <laughs> and then like they have, you know, it's, it, it, he's doing like spaghetti western style World War II movies. Um, and why is this how he just did that with his latest movie? Cause he's sort of, he's more about the movie and the play, the playing with it than it is about some sort of propagandist history. And it's, it's not that propaganda is always bad. It's that you have to know it's propaganda and you have to sort of be distant from it. And that's what's so weird about this movie is that it's saying this isn't a true story throughout it. But it's also saying um, this is emblematic. And I don't see it as a an evil movie at all. I see it as like it's it's they're sort of honoring that tradition like Robin Hood in the same way. Yeah? I see your point. Yeah. That it, 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 I mean, I mean it, it's it's more true than reality in some senses. It, you know, I, I really like that, uh, Enemy of the Gates, which is based on a book called War of the, War of the Rats. 
Um, and it's you know it's oh, not in. Oh yeah, with Jude Law and yeah, it's Edward good Harris and really good movie. And uh, what's the guy who played Beauty and the Beast? He's in there too. Punch it. Rod Perlman. Ron Perlman, right. Um, so it's a really good movie. Um, but it's not done from the Russian perspective, literally. It's a Hollywood movie, right? Um, and so seeing this whole other attitude and mm-hmm. s- like the fact that this guy who is worried about the Russians a little bit, but not really, um, and votes for Trump is playing a game. I, like I tease him about the fact, you, you know, that game you made, you're playing all the time. It's, it's Russian. <laughs> He doesn't care because he hasn't bought into the, uh, you know, Russia this and Russia that because he's, he's 100% with Trump. And the reason most people are 100% with Trump is not because they're racist. It's because he is a, as, you know, is like a thumb in the eye to the elites. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm not here to play the same games. I'm here to poke them in the eye. And the more he trolls, then you know the stupider things he says, the better, because yeah. it's he's owning the libs, he's owning the neo libs, is what I would say, and he does that every day. So yeah, I mean he's trouble. got him bamboozled. He does. Nothing sticks. What's was three months ago? They were all about the indictment, right? He's going to be indicted. He was indicted. Now where'd that go? Gone. Like breeze in the wind. All right. Yeah, I mean, fa- fantasy is, a, is a, a, a persistent human genre of thought. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll just continue on having them. I'm gonna press stop on this because we gotta stop it sometime, right? Wait, we gotta mention uh, Pool's footnote. We got oh, way please. off. <laughs> I don't know. We got off. Shows aren't the track. Before you you right. shut this down, yeah, uh, go for it. I I, I noticed this because I I got the EPUB. Um, some of the footnotes are, he, he's he's a little bit clever in some of these. I like this one. This is. Uh, Footnote 13 of the final chapter at the conclusion. W. Scott Poole in the Mountains of Madness, The Life of Extraordinary Afterlife of H.P. Lovecraft, all the publication information. And then a recent study based on more than 1 million articles and papers on JSTOR found that male academics cite themselves 56% more than their female colleagues do when he cites the, <laughs> the stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, because he was citing himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's cute. He, he also has one that like a 40. So it's like, I wish more scholars read Adorno, Horkenheimer, and Benjamin, particularly my fellow academics who teach in our European universities, deep pocketed schools of business. In general, readers will feel they need to shower understanding the term of the cultural, of the term cultural Marxism and seeing how it's used online. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a knowing sort of, sort of understanding of what he's doing in each of these photos. I do appreciate that. Thank you for putting that that out of it. I think he's exactly what, you know, Mike Nowak was saying. He's a good teacher and he's, he's, he's good because he's actually interested in his subject instead of just, you know, taking the textbook, like we're saying, you know, and uh, reading it and then regurgitating it to the students. He's writing a textbook. And that's his classes, his research. So the fact that he doesn't include um, the things I'm wanting him to include, it's not a, it's not a mean. It doesn't mean the book is is ruined. 
It just means that, you know, there's more studying to be done. And it's not like this is the one book that exists, right? So if you want to read about uh, how EC Comics was shut down and how, you know, we got out of the censorship for that, that there's books on that and websites for it. And if you want to, you know, go into the literature of, uh, I wish somebody would translate all of this, uh, the Orchid Garden, because I can't yeah. do it. Uh, it's just so beautiful uh, to see. It's like, it's a much more illustrated, uh, it's a shorter magazine than Weird Tales, but it it's right tapping into this who is reading it all the people who just had this experience 1919 like 20 1920 1921 totally yeah i was actually oh sorry go ahead no go for it no go ahead i'm done (laughs) oh i was gonna say i was actually just following uh the the tag on Instagram so I can just get my Instagram filled mm-hmm. with images from the covers because they're so beautiful. They are, right? There's a giant slug on one cover. Uh, I, I think he didn't know about it. I think that that's the issue. And if, you know, maybe doesn't speak German like, you know, most of us. Um, the very first issue has this horrible giant orchid growing out of a... Uh, what I think is like a greenhouse. I don't know if that's what it is, but I, I guess it's a tiny little greenhouse on the lawn and it's popped out of the, uh, uh, through the glass, right? There's a snail in the background and then hanging from the or the orchid, which is, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of flower. It's has bilateral symmetry rather than radial symmetry. So it's a symbol for all sorts of things, often genitalia and that sort of thing. There's all these like little, I don't know, elves or something. One of them's hanging from it. Another one's holding a human skull. One of them's hacking off a limb while a lady looks in the mirror. It's like full of rich imagery. And that's exactly what the magazine seems Mm. to be. It's full of these distorted bodies and super rich imagery. And it's not only World War I sort of inspired because you get... Uh, all these sort of mythological horrors as well. Germany's rich with this stuff. And, and so funny that this book is so focused on German, you know, movie making because, uh, it's there. It's important. Absolutely. But I think, you know, he's also reading the books that are available. Scott Poole is. And a lot of them are on the German movies. So that's why we know so much about them. So, it's like we need to have, yeah, where are the North African films? Because those guys were all involved in World War II. Where are the uh, yeah. Kenyan films? Where are the Chinese films on World War II? They exist, but, but can we watch them? Do we know yeah. about them? Oh, but did they, did they exist? Are there any copies left? Yeah, what's, what's out there? They There's tend still- to be really anti-Japanese, that's what I'm saying is, is that it's so strange. The Russian movies are very like it's, it's actually, it's so interesting because they're, they're made in a, you know, a modern capitalist country, but the stories are set in a, you know, they're aware of the political officers and the political officers are sometimes antagonistic, but not in the same way. As you see in in that uh, enemy at the gates, where basically they're you know they're actually causing problems. Here they're like 
yeah, you know, there are issues and you've got to watch what you say around them. But really, we're all on the same team. And that is we're defending the motherland. And then they even talk about what the difference between a motherland is and a fatherland. And it's a very thoughtful and, and, you know, Russians aren't the boogeyman. They're just people and they haven't invaded a lot of places. I think, I think we get in this book, what was it? The invasion of, uh, Ukraine, Ukraine's Crimea, right? Um, is, is that important? I guess. But what did he leave out? Didn't talk mm-hmm. about why that happened. Like the fact that, you know, they promised to not NATO expand NATO and then they, yeah. ex- they literally just doing that. And then it's like, well, yeah, except that's our access to the Black Sea, yo. What are you doing? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> but that's not mentioned. And it's important. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Part of the hate notes. (laughs) There it goes. It's going now. Hi, I'm shit. No. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Jacques. (laughs) Self-Jacques. Okay.